I'm motivated first and foremost by trying to find out and push what my own potential is. And so that's where a lot of my self-development, I think, begins and ends is kind of about understanding potential. Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day, and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Colin Sandberg. Colin is a multi-business owner and founder of Ben Elevate. This MBA-led strategic finance firm helps business owners use their numbers to make money rather than simply better categorizing their expenses. As CEO and owner of manufacturing, distribution, and service businesses, he developed a passion for demystifying small business finance and supporting fellow entrepreneurs in achieving their dreams. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Colin. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Yeah, thanks, Dwight. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited for our conversation. Um, reviewing your website last night and, you know, obviously putting some effort into reading about your life. I'm looking forward to hearing how you differentiate. Obviously, this will be a little bit farther into the show between why, you know, finance is important, but it's not the thing that's going to be add real value and drive your business forward. Um, I've been, again, 21 years in the finance industry myself with my business, dealing with individuals to corporations and trying to get across to them that the numbers are important, but do you have a game plan? Do you have anything that's going to help you elevate and, you know, move your business forward? So that's one of the reasons why I was excited when you reached out and wanted to be on my show. And I looked at your, your stuff and thought, you know, this is, this is going to be some real good value for those people that are listening that have, you know, haven't started or looking at started, they're stuck, they've decided they're camped in their lives and they don't know where to go. And it's all stuck on numbers. They forgot that the journey of life is so much more than that. And uh, so I'm excited for that. And one of the things that I mentioned to you is that I focus on a person's origin story. And those, you know, listeners that listen to my show all the time understand why I do that. It's because really at the end of the day, you know, people, are going to give up an hour of their day to listen to this conversation and they want to connect with somebody really quickly. And it's tough. It's tough, yeah. obviously over, over a medium like this, but I've proven it now over three years that it's possible. It can be the simplest thing that you can say that will make a light bulb go on to the person listening to this right now. And they're just, 
literally hanging on every word that's going on in our conversation. And sometimes we'll rewind, they'll go back and listen to it again, right? That people will take notes. It's amazing. So Colin, do me a favor, brother, and tell me your origin story, the key things from your earliest recollections to where you are today. Yeah, thanks. Um, so that's that's deep. That's big. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when I when I think back, um, really to my childhood. So I, I grew up in in kind of a, a lower middle class family, and I like to always say that we had everything we needed and nothing we wanted, and that's the best way to characterize, you know, kind of what my life was like as a kid. And so it didn't. I, I didn't feel the acute pain that a lot of people do if they're in the the true kind of lower class, struggling, uh, struggling to survive. But, you know, we weren't taking vacation, family vacations. We weren't getting lavish gifts. I didn't have a name brand pair of shoes until I was probably in high school and had a job and could buy them myself. And, you know, that was just kind of a life for me. And so I think when we're talking about origin story and I think kind of where my career's at in terms of wanting to be in entrepreneurship and, and the things that I'm passionate about, you know, a few of those elements, um, you know, as you were asking about that are really interesting. So one is... I wanted to break out of that, that kind of financial status of feeling like I was kind of stuck. Um, another interesting thing is that in the, I grew up in a small town here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And in that small town, everyone was exactly the same. I didn't know a single family who didn't have a working uh, mom and dad. I didn't know a single family who worked in our town. So we were kind of in this little commuter city where everyone had to drive 30, 45 minutes to their real job. The only jobs around town were, you know, at the gas station or, you know, something like that. And so they weren't really a lot of career type jobs. And so kind of looking back on that part of my life, the other thing that was interesting is that my, my mom and dad both um, had passion about something, but had ended up in these very generic jobs, you know, just going that whole path of like, well, I've got to get a stable job. And so my dad, who um, got a, a PhD in biology, instead of pursuing that he took a stable job working for an energy company. And then, you know, and we were just sharing that, uh, Dwight, you and I have a lot of that in common in terms of the areas that we're from and the impact of energy in the local economy. And so, you know, that, that became the driving force earlier in my dad's careers, like doing the smart thing, take care of the family, get a stable job. Well, that doesn't take you as far as you really want to go in life, you know? And so seeing him kind of struggle later in, in my childhood, and my mom ended up in a very, you know, unfulfilling kind of generic office job, or maybe she did a good job, but she had no passion for it, didn't care about it. And so you asked kind of the origin, I know this is a long, long answer, but as all of those things kind of uh, synthesized together, all of that comes together in my childhood and sets the stage for me feeling like there has to be a different way to approach your career, you know, that you can get fulfillment, you can have more control of your money, more control of your, your lifestyle, and not, not in terms of fancy showy things but in terms of, you know, the quality of life and what you get to work on. And so when I found entrepreneurship in my early twenties, I latched on with everything I had and, and really went for it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, of course this, this could be as short and long as a person wants it to be, but that was very concise and to the point. I like how you talked about, you know, got what you needed, not what you wanted, right? There's so many of us, how many of us on this planet today that live in a, you know, a middle-class environment don't 
understand or take for granted the fact of that just getting what we what we need is more than billions of people on the planet don't get we don't we're never really taught the factors of how to understand gratitude or be grateful for what we have and you know it doesn't make you bad it doesn't make me bad because i felt the same way like you know you, you talked about everybody had the same in the Dallas Fort Worth area, everybody was, you know, you got the white picket fence, you got the house, you you got the the hamster wheel of life that you move forward on, and that's one of the things. As I've gotten older, I I've realized more and more that, you know, that learned behavior becomes an anchor in our lives. It can give stability, but all it does is take that same mundane life that our that our parents lived or relatives and i'm not saying their lives were bad but it, it is it's mundane it's go to work go home get paid you don't necessarily have the passion you mentioned about your dad you know and and having his phd and, and then just settling and it's yeah. because it, we're not taught those young people wouldn't you agree to live outside of our comfort zone to take yeah. that risk yeah, that's a great point. And I don't know about you. I know uh, I'm I'm still raising my kids. I know we were talking about that. Years are grown. But, you know, I, I've been teaching my kids that since they were old enough to have a conversation with me about, you know, shaping their mindset around how to approach things they want in life. And and I tell them, I'm like, hey, I don't want you to come work for me or try and do the family business thing. Like, that's not my goal. My goal is for you to figure out what you want in life, but to apply some of the things I learned in you know, working for myself. And, and that's kind of been my mindset. I think I figured that out is if you're willing to work for yourself, you know, the sky's the limit and it doesn't mean being self-employed. It means willing to work for yourself, put in the work for what you want, what you care about. And, you know, that's the hard part, like to your point, uh, seeing my dad, you know, and I love my dad. I was very close to him. He passed away about eight years ago, but uh, seeing my dad um, throughout my early life really struggle with his career, a career he didn't love in the first place. He just kind of did it for the money that worked for a while. And then he got laid off and his life never really recovered. I mean, it kind of decimated him in his early fifties and seeing him go through that was, was really heartbreaking for me. Cause of course I just, you know, love my dad and wanted things to be good and wanted him to be happy and seeing him feel like pan that panic feeling of he can't, he can't find another equivalent job. What is he going to do to make ends meet? Now he's even further away from what he was passionate about in the first place. And it just feeling like that you're behind the eight ball in life. Uh, and that's know, quite that's tough... desperation. It's quite desperation. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, it took me a long time to admit that to myself, that I was living a life of quiet desperation. And when I wrote my book um, that came out a few years ago, I talk about quiet desperation in there and that hamster wheel of life. And, and, you know, I can feel that, that angst, that, that anxiety that your father felt, yeah. right? Yeah. Because we're all, we're all clay. We're all a lump of clay when you were younger and we're molded by learned behaviors and society and expectations. And we're never taught to be that risk taker that, you know, oh, you took a risk and it didn't work out. Well, that's too bad. Now what are you going to do? How are you going to reset? How are you going to yep. move forward? Instead, we're told, well, I told you so. You shouldn't exactly. have done that. Look where you're yep. at now. Instead of the pat in the back, we get a kick in the butt and told to, you know, be more um, smarter next time. Yeah. Yeah. Take less you, risk. You better yeah. be a simi you better simulate. 
Look yep. what your uncle, look what your uncle has over there. Your sibling has this or the, or, or, you know, the neighbor, look what they've accomplished. What they don't realize is all those people that they just mentioned. If you open up the, the book of their life and look inside of it, you look inside of what they're going through. They're living a life of quiet desperation. They're just good yep. at hiding it until yep. they meet until, the, until somebody like me, who's been training myself for 30 years of personal development, reading body language, listening to tonality, looking at the the big picture instead of just being so self-centered on myself, I can tell. I can see that in my own clients. I can see that in my family. Or you ask people, how are they doing? And what do we do normally get a mechanical response when in reality they're not doing well, right? Because we don't truly care what they how they're feeling. We don't look for those triggers and go, you know what? Are you sure you're okay? You can mm -hmm. seem kind of tense. And actually care about one another, realizing that that shared synergy between one another can help us elevate us and get us into the next stages of our life. So, I, you know, passion, like you said, is so important, right? Yeah. And we just, so many people, their passion died in them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right out of high school. Yeah. And, and to your point, you know, I think, especially in entrepreneurship, it's easy to get caught up in uh, success equals fulfillment or success equals happiness. You know, we, we all know now, uh, intellectually, we know that's not true. We know that there are people who do okay financially and are very happy. And there are people who do amazing financially and are miserable. Oh. And so to your point, you know, I think a lot of that, if we're looking at it the wrong way, which is easy to do, especially when you're young and you're learning, you see somebody who has flashy car, has something nice or, or whatever, lives in a big house. And you assume like, oh my gosh, like to your point, look at your uncle there. You know, he's, he played by the rules. He did it the right way. And look how great things are for him now. And it's like, really your uncle is miserable. He's chained to this job. They've got the golden handcuffs on him. He hates everything about it. He's working 60, 70 hours a week just to have the fancy car, just to keep getting the promotions. Cause he knows you know, he's one phone call away from his whole career being uh, upended. And that's kind of what happened to my dad, right? He wasn't on that upper, upper echelon in terms of the income, but he, he got to a pretty nice, you know, upper uh, management type of role. And one day, uh, new acquisition, you know, new boss, and they pull out the spreadsheet and go, yep, everybody below that line. Then my dad was gone and his career was effectively over, right? And so, yeah, I just, I mean, it's interesting to, one of the things I love about, I think the world's never been primed like it is right now for people to have that kind of uh, lifestyle design and career design the way that we can now. Thinking about what is actually important to you. For me, traveling with my children, spending a ton of time with them when they're not in school. You know, I've worked from home yesterday because my kids were off school. Like just really... Uh, building my life around that because I know that it's a phase of life that I won't have forever. And so to me, it's kind of a non-negotiable. I've got to have a career that supports that. And I happen to love one that does, but Hey, I'm leaving money on the table, right? If I wanted to be a hundred hours a week maniac, of course I can make more money, but what for, what's the purpose of that? To leave it to your kids. If you die in a car accident, exactly. Like I tell, I tell people, they don't think, I don't want people to live a life of tragedy or thinking of, oh, what happens if something happens? I want them to live that purposeful life, right? My whole mission statement, living life on purpose and not by accident, is something that we all have to grasp. So people listening, you know, listen to what Colin's saying. 
your family, have some core values that like I listen to people's core values and they're always centered on work. My core values, my last core value is work. The rest is, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. The rest above it is what matters. My faith, my family, you know, then work, right? There's things in between, obviously, but we don't know when our ticket's going to get punched. So if you're that person that's a workaholic, and I've been that person, I learned at a very, well, I should guess young relative to, because I'm not sure your age. I was in my 30s when I had a wake-up call, and I just said to myself, you know, I'm never working a summer again. My kids are off in this summer. I'm going to service my clientele that need to be serviced, but I'm not taking any, the last of the new business I'll take on will be in June because it can take weeks to wrap up in my industry to do planning and, and implementation. And I'm taking the summer off every summer with my kids. Yep. And people will go, well, you're leaving a lot, like the words you use too, leaving a lot yep. of money on the table. Absolutely like, I am. Man. And that's okay. Because yeah. if I die, if I die that, that money that I've made that can, that they're going to get isn't going to do nothing for them to to buy new memories with with us as a family unit and even as an adult I still take majority of the summer off and now I spend it with grandkids or I go and I travel because you know for me every single picture and I'm a picture holic just so you know I I'm, I'm a picture freak I look at pictures and I and immediately my mind the memories rush in right right from my oh. kids is People used to bug me back in the old camera days before digital. And why do you take so many pictures? And well, because you know what? That's a snapshot of a memory that I've put the effort in. My kids are putting in the effort in my family, my relatives or whoever, friends. And I said, I want to capture that. Well, nobody will ever care 20, 30, 100 years from now. Doesn't matter. I do it for today. I do it nope. for that opportunity. When my kids will come to me and I just had... My grandson yesterday, I spent some time with my, my seven-year-old grandson last night. And he said, Papa. And I go, what, William? He goes, and he asked me these questions. I said, well, when you come over and stay here in the next couple of weeks, I said, we'll go through. I got pictures of you as a baby playing with Papa. Really? I said, I got pictures of this. Really? And he's just, that's how he's, he's seven, right? Really? <laughs> he's just excited, yep, yep. right? That, we haven't gone through it yet. But my gladness, my joy was just yeah. huge, man. And people go, well, I'm going to go work, right? Oh, I can't. I'm going to miss this family event. I'm going to miss it. Like, you do you. I'm not judging anybody that does that. I'm just yep. saying, stop and smell the roses. You're missing the journey of life. All of a sudden, as you mentioned, your kids are growing up. And now what? Yeah. You, how, many, how many people have you talked to in your life that go, oh, you know, I got to make up with it with my grandkids because they miss their own kids. I didn't miss my own kids. There's certain exactly. things I could have done better. Of course. Yeah. But that's life. No, I love that. I love that. Yeah. We go for a month every summer um, out of town to kind of our special place in California where my wife and I got married and and we take our kids out there. And yeah, I mean, it's just to your point, it is really investing. And in, and I love that notion of uh, wealth is is measured in time, not money. And it's usually said in the context of kind of, you know, creating a passive income or something like that. But I like to think of it in terms you're talking about, which is it's time allocated for the right reasons in life, right? Yeah. Not, well, not you know, not just sitting back on my, you know, Scrooge McDuck pile of money. It's, it's in the ability <laughs> to construct a life that's fulfilling, you know, and dedicate my time to things that are, that are 
for me, infinite, you know, the money's always finite. It, it'll come, it'll go. But in terms of life, like you're saying that nothing could be more important. Well, and, and you know, you talked about passing on those lessons and stuff like, look, if you work too much and you don't pass on things to your kids, like I've passed on lessons to my kids who are little and, you know, all we can do is try our best. And out of my five adult kids, some of them, you know, some of them are in their early 20s, some are in their late 30s now, and they'll have a discussion with me and I'll, and I'll, I'll look at them, you know, where's that coming from? Well, dad, don't you remember when we were, my one daughter goes, she's like 37. She says, when we were, when I was like in elementary school, you used to drop me off and always say this phrase to me. And it was a phrase by the person I love the most in the planet for personal development is Les Brown. And it was a phrase that I said to her and she goes, I still recall it. And when I have my down days, I tell myself. Yeah. Right? Wow. And it's, it's emotional because she says, I hear your voice. Right. So we, we've okay. got to, we got to have those moments with our children and are, are all of them, everything you teach your kids, Colin, are they going to remember it all? Absolutely not. Nope. What they'll remember is that memory of going to California, that extra hug. Oh, dad took a day off work yesterday and worked from home so he could spend some quality time with us. They're going to remember those moments. They're not going to remember all the, I, I have these people that will go, oh, you know, I worked like older clients I, and my kids, have, I set them up for life. They got this and this and that. And I'll ask them questions about their kids. They got no noticeable memories they can tell me nope. about. I'll ask them, how are the kids doing? Oh, this kid's doing this. this. And, and some of that, I, I, what I hear is, oh my gosh, those kids were thriving, aren't thriving as well as they could have because you weren't present in their lives. Yep. You didn't yep. give them those little lessons that maybe it stuck with one kid. Maybe it doesn't stick with the other. But all you can do is hope that anything you do in life, that part of what you stand for and represent sticks with somebody, right? That's legacy. That's yep. that's that's planned, purposeful legacy living, not waiting till you die and people say, oh, you're, you got, you know, what are you going to leave when you leave behind or what's your legacy? What's the first thing you hear? Money. Yep. Yeah. No principles, no values, no morals, no... You know, hey, come here. What? I want a hug. Well, you, I just hugged you. I don't care. Come here. I want another hug. Yeah. <laughs> Take it. Knowing I'm going to be a minute late or whatever. Yep. You know what I mean? Just those little yeah. things. So, kudos to you, brother. That's awesome yeah. to hear. Right? Thank you're you. you're on you're on a path and the right path, and and it'll it'll reward you. As a guy that's quite a bit older than you, probably I don't know how old you are, but I'm probably 20 years older than you. Um, it pays back in spades. Like my kids and I are close as adults. I'm close with my grandkids. I'm close with my, I've got a great granddaughter now. I got the pleasure of having her flow, flowing, flying my grandson and her out from Vancouver Island over Christmas for 10 days to see my, to hang out with uh, my new great granddaughter. And, you know, it's just wow. life, life, right? I love it. Memories that I can't replace by working an extra hour. Yeah, <laughs> for what? So, yeah, mm. yeah. I'm family oriented. If you haven't figured that out, but anyway, so we're gonna we're gonna he head on to the next conversation here. You know, at 21 years of age, I was reading that you you know you started working in the family business, and you realized it was not all that it needed to be. It was kind of it was functional, but it was you know not necessarily the direction that you thought it would you know be and you aspired it to want to be what was the first wake up call for you with business and how did you approach the changes required without causing dissension within your family mm. 
Yeah, I wish I wish that it had forever uh, gone without causing dissension in the family. Unfortunately, that's you know one of the challenges of family business, and why I'm not not a huge advocate for it. I get it; it happens. Uh, but you know, so I, I started. I was uh, 21, and I, I kind of had this thunderbolt uh, hit me kind of moment where I realized I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And like I said, it was now looking back, as we talked about earlier, kind of culmination of some of my life experience up to that point. Um, I was a bad student in school. I was a troublemaker, got bad grades, barely graduated high school, didn't go off to college in the way that I had hoped I'd, I would. Um, more for the experience I wanted as much as the education probably. And so being at that stage in life at 21 and not being where I wanted to be in life and not feeling like I had the prospects to what I thought at the time, you know, the uncle path, right, of the big job and the, and the good money, I felt like I had lost out on that path and that I didn't know how to get it back and, and suddenly had this realization about entrepreneurship and in, in an exact moment re realized like this is what I want to do with my life. And so I looked around and, and figured out the you know, person closest to me who had a small business where I could go see behind the curtain really learn about what it actually takes to make this work instead of just kind of the TV movie version. And, uh, and so I went to work for that company. Now, 22 years later, 23 years later, I own that company still to this day. Um, but when I went to work there, it was really just going to be, hey, I'm going to go here for about a year, see behind the curtain, and then I'll go out and do my own thing. And to your point, the wake up call in part was about a year in, I switched over to handling the financial side of the company and it was a absolute train wreck. I mean, it was, we had every type of issue going on that could kill a company. I always say if there were 10 things that could kill a company, we were doing like nine out of 10. It was bad. I mean, our first employee was embezzling from us, uh, which is one of the very first things I figured out. We had you know, money on credit cards. We were using credit cards to to finance almost like a line of credit. We're paying those interest rates on credit cards. Oh, wow. We had a ton of inventory we couldn't sell. We had AR that we couldn't collect. We had AP that we couldn't afford. We didn't have enough money in the bank for payroll. I mean, it was just on and on and on. And so that that wake up call was looking at what on the outside, from the outside looking in, was just kind of a successful small business. I knew we weren't making a ton of crazy money or you know super you know, uh, killing it kind of thing. But the expectation was we had, you know, dozen or I don't know, 15, 18 employees, whatever it was. I thought this is a successful company. And so I see behind the curtain on the financial side and just the overwhelming kind of panic of, I have no idea how to fix this problem, but I know everywhere I look, this is not how it should be. And so that was a really, you know, that was a really tough wake up call. I was 23 years old. And uh, it was from that moment on, it was time to learn about money, time to learn about the financial side of business. Yeah, the rules of the money game are, they're easy, but they're not easy. There, there's, yeah. there's a, there, there has to be a willingness to understand. And most people, again, it's back to that learned behavior. We're, we're taught to be scared of money. We're, yep. or we're taught to chase money, but not understand the rules of the money game, right? So how did it affect you and and your family's relationship though, because you, it was a family business. Mm -hmm. When you started bringing this stuff up, did you have to, was there some real stern conversations? Was, was it, it had to have been a challenge because I, I, I had, my parents had a family business. I choose to walk away from it. Yeah. I go on my own path because I knew I could never get through to my dad. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's where I honestly, that I, you know, I, I always tell people thinking about with my kids, I say, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to have my kids come work with me. That's just not a path I'm interested in. Now, if my kids want to do entrepreneurship, that's cool. Again, I'm not going to push it on them. I, I'd be just as happy for them if they want to go, you know, do, do something different. But if they want to do entrepreneurship, that's great. I'll be your best advisor. I'll be a mentor. I'll help you any way I can, but I'm not giving you all my money and I'm not going to have you work for me. There's a better way for you to do it where you'll ultimately come out with more fulfillment, just like you did. And, you know, for me, that kind of created a chip on my shoulder that I had started that way. And I think I'm, I think I'm beyond it now, but probably, and I'm 44. So you, you, you alluded okay. to that earlier. So I'm 44. Okay. So I would say probably up through my mid thirties, uh, into my late thirties, I've still had a really big chip on my shoulder about that being part of my origin story as an entrepreneur was that I went to work for a family business that I ended up buying that family business. And that it just in some ways felt like it cheapened what I at the time identified as what entrepreneurship is really all about, which is kind of merit and building something, you know, for yourself and, and kind of feeling like the perception that you get a leg up, even if that wasn't the reality of that first business for me, it just kind of felt that way. So, but you know, I listened to you say that and, you know, I I can understand that because so many people want to start their own thing and not be, because then they, what's that word they they say when nepotism or whatever. Yep. And I just, I laugh at that word. Like literally I had somebody on my podcast here a couple months back and we talked about it and really it, it takes away from the fact that you straightened the business out and then you ended up buying it. Like, come on. Like, yeah. yes. <laughs> I, I, it would be a bitter pill and a chip on the shoulder. I can totally understand what you're saying. It, it is something though, that nobody can ever take away from you though, because you stuck with it. So first and foremost, yeah. you're not a quitter. You're tenacious, right? Tenacity is a superpower. It's so underestimated in, in people that are, doesn't even necessarily be, have to be an entrepreneur or business person. You can be a, a tenacious person in a job or a career. You can be the best at your career, best at your job. You you are the same person at your job as you are at home. You're not you're not feeling like you have to sell your soul to keep your job, like you know some of the things your mm -hmm. father maybe went through or so many other people have gone through. I know that's one thing I got to give credit to my dad being a business owner, farm equipment dealership. He would not tolerate any disrespect from farmers. He was very you know. Um, first generation Canadian German ancestry. And he basically was very blunt candor. You know, he would just, he was, he was kind though, but he wouldn't put up with anything. He would just, this is the way it is. Oh, okay. And in his mental mindset, I remember him used to say what, when a person would go out the door after he'd have to calm them down or tell them, but don't talk like that to my staff or who do you think you're talking to mental note that's strike one. Right. Because he believed in protecting those around him that had the same like, you know, mindedness uh, and, and the same synergy. And he treated people like his family all the time. Right. Yeah. So he wouldn't he wouldn't handle disrespect. So good for you for doing what you did and that chip on your shoulder. Yes, you've given it up. It's always going to but see the thing is about chips on your shoulder. <laughs> it's always in your mind. And that's going to be something that's a check a check system for you to keep you on track to, yep. to coach people. Cause I know you coach people, you have the masterminds that you've done or continue to do and you coach other businesses. 
that's going to help you have those better conversations because you can talk about it from the real value side of it from what you went through. So yep. I think it's a massive positive for anybody that interacts and deals with you, including myself now today. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. You're welcome. So what advice could you give that person listening when dealing with their own entry into a family business or how do they navigate the waters if they're already in that family business and nobody will listen to them? What, what, what advice could you give somebody that's in that circumstance? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the simplest way to put it is keep the lines of communication open, right? I think we know that it's true in any type of relationship uh, with, with two or more people. It's true, obviously, of, of spouses, true with your kids, true, you know, in, in your working relationships. And, I, you know, I think that's, that can be really tough. So it's, there's a, um, there's an old saying in boxing, they say styles make fights. And, and it basically means if you're a boxing guy, you probably know, but it basically means that, Hey, like this isn't as simple as, you know, Hey, this guy beat, you know, somebody else. And therefore he's going to beat you. It's really going to come down to, you know, the way, uh, the dynamic between two people is. And, you know, I think that's the interesting thing as you go into family business. Now, my dynamic, I'm a pretty, uh, straightforward, blunt kind of person, even in my twenties, um, I was very driven very tenacious, like you said, probably hadn't learned how to harness some of that. And I, I would say, interestingly, maybe the learning to better manage the chip on my shoulder about family business probably came uh, in, I guess, in relation to learning how to just better manage my own mindset and interpersonal skills. And so when I was younger, though, um, I didn't, you know, I didn't suffer fools well, I didn't suffer, uh, the, the idea that we were doing something the wrong way and somebody wanted to try and kind of tell me that it wasn't the wrong way. And again, I gave you the evidence so you could look around at the business and see there's tons of evidence that we were doing a lot of the things the wrong way. It took a long time to unwind those mistakes, reverse them. And again, with each one of them, I didn't know the right answer to start with. I just knew it couldn't possibly be the right way. And so I had to go through a learning curve with each of those. And that led to a lot of friction between me and the, and the founder of the company, it led to a, a long, you know, pattern of we would um, have conversations, turn debates, sometimes turned arguments, sometimes to the point of making some of the other staff members uncomfortable. I mean, I have a very specific memory of we're arguing in his office and the employees are like, it's the end of the day. And the employees are like slinking out to their cars, <laughs> trying wow. to just avoid us. But it was, you know, it was a very trying, uh, stressful time in the in the existence of the company, and I'm I didn't own any of it yet. I was just trying to help out. I was just trying to be candid about what I saw, and and this founder in particular had built kind of an environment where people didn't tell him the truth, you know. And that's one of the flaws of being that type of a person, is that you surround yourself with yes men and yes women in your employees, and I was the first one who was willing to tell them I didn't, I didn't agree with what was happening and that there was a better way. Well, I see your passion, your passion, well, your passion was, you know, I want to help you like yeah. wake up, listen to me. But yep. when you're, when you've been surrounded, as you mentioned with so many yes people, it's tough. It's tough for me to sit down with, it, it doesn't even have to be business. It can just, because that owner is still an individual, take the yep. business side out of it. Their life's like that at home too. They, yep. they have yes people, their families, yes people, because they're probably reactionary more than they're 
the type of person that's going to listen and go, hmm, you got a good point. Let me think about that. Yeah. They don't know how to control their emotional IQ goes off the scale in a bad yeah. way. Yes, right? absolutely. I've been, I've been around that so often. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, I'm a big believer in kind of uh, self-development, like you talked about and, and learning, right. And learning in general, but there are smart people who are passionate about learning, who have yet to dive into the self-development piece, because it's a lot tougher to put yourself under the microscope. It's a lot tougher from a, a humility standpoint. And, and so if you're up, if you're dealing with someone who has yet to go down that path, it's very hard to have a conversation where the possible outcome is them being wrong and have them handle it well. Well, they just don't, they don't understand. See, personal development, those listening or watching, I'm pretty passionate about it. That's, I had a guy on last week, his show will be live in a couple of weeks and he's read, he's in his 20, late 20s. He's read close to 500 books and he has a company now and a lot of staff and all they do is help people promote their books but he also educates and teaches people how to read books because mm. how many people pick up a book or even watch a TV show? I don't care what it is. And they retain maybe even back when you think of school, five to 10% retention, if you're lucky at what you learn yeah. in the first week, what about a year later, two years exactly. later, right? So there's so much great information in a book and a podcast. And we just, we don't know how to take that information, that personal development and make it so that we can become vulnerable mm, to other yep. ideas or other, you know, knowledge bases or other perceptions or opinions. And we just get all butt hurt because we're, and for those listening, I don't care what age you are. I'm 56 this year. So a little bit older than you, not quite 20 years, but I'm 56 <laughs> this year, but I'm always open to listening to others, people's thought processes yeah. And having respect enough for them, if they're respectful in how they communicate, that we can walk away. We can agree to disagree and walk away and still have a great friendship. And obviously, I have a barometer in my head. I have a process called the 70-30 principle that I coach and teach and live by, but how long I'll tolerate, mm -hmm. you know, people that are, are very offensive or sometimes they're not, but it's 50% of the time. I walk mm -hmm. away from that stuff, clients, yep. friends, family. I, I, there has life's too short yeah because if, if you get all hung up in that stuff then that you know that former owner probably took a lot of that stuff home to his family yep. and they were living it, it's just it's just a sad situation that so many people can avoid through personal development and it's baby steps it's it, like you said it's not hard but it, it's it's not easy either for people because they just they know it all or they've forgotten more than anybody else knows or they're they've got ego issues and ego can be a good thing but in a lot of ways it's a bad thing yeah yep. right people get caught up in themselves so um colin you would you know you've had so much different things that have gone on in your life but one of the things that stuck with me is when i was reading you did really well at the business. And instead of sitting back on your laurels and like a lot of business owners do, they become camped right in their mindset. They don't continue to grow or evolve or develop other businesses. You didn't, you took profits and went out and gotten to other businesses, started investing in real estate. You know, some people might say to you, what, what Colin, when are you going to be satisfied Colin? Come on, <laughs> you know, look what you got. Why do you have to do all this stuff? Why are you taking on that risk? 
right? What drove you to take on that extra risk and continue to climb and develop other ventures? Mm. So I really, you know, to your point, I learned a lot from turning around my first business. It was a, a turnaround. It took me a long time to do it. And I was CEO of that company for about 15 years. And, but believe it or not, from the very beginning, before I was CEO, before I was even an owner of that company, I met a guy and he owned multiple companies, but he didn't work at any of them. And I thought, now that is a model that I like. And at the time, you know, I was, it was, it was in a manufacturing company, it was my original company, not a, a product I'm passionate about, not an industry I'm passionate about, not a business model that I'm passionate about. It was just, you know, I, I was falling in love with business for business sake. And so that, that, you know, was able to tide me over for a period of years. But when I saw someone who was able to own multiple businesses, what I loved about going into a mastermind group, which I started in my, you know, at probably 24, what I loved about getting to know other entrepreneurs, I just loved learning about a new business and kind of figuring out what made it tick, how it worked, what were the specific challenges, what kind of strategies. And so that got me excited about the idea of what would a role look like where I don't work in any of these businesses, but I'm able to be involved with them and have an ownership stake. And so that, that was really a kind of driving force for me, even through all the years I was CEO and just had one company and, you know, executing the turnaround. And so I, the minute I was able to come out of that and we had excess cash, I mean, we had to, it took me a long time just to, you know, stop the bleeding I always, uh, you know, you, you've heard the saying, uh, what do you do when you find yourself in a hole? And the first thing is stop digging. <laughs> so we had to stop digging the hole and we had to eventually fill in the hole. And then we had to get back to where we had, you know, some, some cash and some resources that we were able to sit on. And then beyond that, I was able to find money to, to invest and, and go outside of the company. And so that was a passion from the very beginning. And, you know, back to your question, I'm, I'm motivated first and foremost, by trying to find out and push what my own potential is. And so that's where a lot of my self-development, I think, begins and ends is kind of about understanding potential. And as we've said, there are sacrifices and trade-offs you make in life. Trading off some element of family potential means I may be leaving a little bit of unrealized work potential. Not that I think that's a bad trade-off. I think that's a great trade-off. But, you know, that, that is kind of my uh, focus. And so in my career, it was really, how can I do it my way to the greatest extent possible? And so that's what drives me to keep going. That's awesome though. So, you know, those listening or watching, listen to Colin's words too, for throughout this conversation, his past what have you seen his dad go through this business owner go through what things that he wished who didn't wish upon himself, wanted more, it's always been a catalyst for you. It's back to that tenacious thing to want to to be the lifelong learner that I believe you are. I know I am. I'm going to learn and, and, and grow till the day I die. And for those that are saying, oh, you're never satisfied, you're right. I'm not ever satisfied. Not being satisfied, you know, our society has to quit thinking that's a metric to measure your life again. Oh, I'm satisfied. Yeah, I'm, I might be happy at my current place in life, but I'm thinking about what can I do to evolve myself? Because as I evolve, or people around me evolve, it, you know, we become a catalyst for, for change in humankind. And it's, it's not bad. It's a good thing. 
So you doing all that stuff and taking on the risk and helping the company, you know, stop digging that hole and then getting to where you're at, like, yes, there's so many different things you could go, geez, this happened. That was terrible. But I, I, I sense so much satisfaction from you and, you know, I don't know you that well. I just getting to know you. And as a person listening and, and, and experiencing your story, I'm proud of the fact that you never gave up and you're still on the climb and you're still saying family centric. Yes. There might be days where you say to yourself, Hmm, I should have spent some more time doing this personal stuff on the journey of life. And I did that, but guess what? When we're aware, when we are self-aware, we can change that. So yep. by reflecting on where we're at, and you had to do a lot of reflection over that 15 <laughs> years in that business, I guarantee it, no right? Doubt. There was a, a lot of character building moments for Colin, I imagine, right? So you, but look where you are today, Matt, 44 years old, you know, you, you've continuing to develop and help and coach others and, and run business. And it's just, that's a good thing. Like so many people at your age will never be there. They're stuck in quiet desperation, going mm -hmm. to bed at night that way, waking up that way, going to work, being phony because they're afraid of losing their job. They're comfortable in their income because they've got nobody's ever taught them. And that's my side of it, taught them the rules of the money game on how to budget, how to goal set so that they're not living from paycheck to paycheck. Right. All of a sudden yeah. they lose their paycheck and they lose everything 90 days later. Right. Not just including their finance, their their uh, things they own, but their mental paycheck, right? Yeah, they're, they're just yep. they're, everything's cashed in. They're, I yeah, see their it time and time wrapped up in yes, it. Yep. everything, and they just cash yep. in. And I, I, I don't know if you had this happen to you, but for me, I had a very successful business owner. What I thought was a very successful business owner over thirty years ago, hand me my first few books and said, "Here, you read these. These will help you." Now I look at it from from look back at it right at that time he probably didn't read them himself well enough or he read them but he didn't know how to read them right yeah, yeah. And, you know just some of the most famous books from like Napoleon Hill to Dale Carnegie and you know to Charles Schwartz like the Magic of Thinking Big or just some of the best books that I needed at the time I don't think he yep. realized it but that's another the reason I bring that up. People listening or watching, gift books to people. I've yeah. gifted books and never got them back. I don't care. Yep. Right? I yeah, it sucks if they're sitting on a shelf collecting dust, right? Um, I, had to, I had the privilege of um, Lewis Howes. Some people don't know who he is. Like, I love Lewis Howes. It, again, I don't love 100% of anybody. Everybody's got their faults. But I, I went and seen him at a conference and I ordered 10 of his books. They got shipped to me here and I've given away like five of them, six of them. People will yep. come over and they're talking to me or whatever. Hey, you know what? I got a book that might help you out. I'll give you my book because it'll help you out this way. And I give it for free. I don't charge people. Oh, let me pay. No, no, no. Just take it. But promise yep. me it won't collect dust in your shelf. How many of those promises are kept? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I'll give them the Lewis Howes book and say, here, take this book too. Really? Love it. Oh, you know, at the end of the day, it's our responsibility to 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 uplift humankind instead of being part of the the problem, be part of the solution, right? So I'll get off my soapbox. No, I love that. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. Uh, that's a that's a great way to look at things. 
Yeah. So um, on your journey, you discovered that businesses that succeed have mastered their finances. Yet you also discovered through application for yourself that was not enough, that the finance piece did not add real value to growth. Could you please explain your CPA to MBA running the show Epiphany and how it made the financial piece of the story, which is required to succeed, fall into place? Yeah. And so to be clear, what I always say is, you know, the the basics of bookkeeping, let's say, and record keeping, those things don't add value. So in my path, you know, I actually met a, a one of my earliest mentors was, was my CPA. He's still my CPA to this day, 20 something years later. Great guy. Love him. Uh, you know, he's kind of a, a crazy uncle to me, a really entertaining guy. But, you know, he taught me about thinking and using my mind in a very different way. And that was that that's not a normal experience people have with a CPA, obviously. Um, but, you know, what I realized pretty early on is that, you know, you said it, number one, business and especially the financial side of business, it's not it's not complicated. It's simple, but it is hard work. Right. It, it takes a, a tremendous amount of intentional hard work to get anywhere with it, but it doesn't mean it has to be overly complicated. And so I was always the kid, even even in school, when I was kind of bombing out of uh, my with my grades and not doing well, I did well on on standardized tests. You know, I just they kind of made sense to me. I was able to do them, didn't ever get you know shaken by a test. And so I would really do well with the math side. And so I was just kind of gravitated toward the fundamentals of math and really understanding like what math is saying and what it means. So when I found business, the financial side drew me in pretty quickly. It made sense to me. It was logical. It was about making good, smart choices with, with resources and then being diligent enough to follow those choices through. Right. And so early on in, in, in the, you know, I told you, I, I looked behind the uh, curtain realized all the different financial challenges we had and basically realized, okay, well, at the core of it, we have to start making money, right? We cannot, I mean, we can't solve any of these problems by prolonging the path to make money. And so that was a really uh, kind of fundamental piece that we started with. And that I, I started focusing on heavily was what was making us money and what wasn't, how can we do more of the stuff that was working? How can we eliminate the stuff that's not? And, you know, working my path that way. And so by the time I, I had been running the business or was taking over the business, I went and got my executive MBA, which was kind of for me, we talked about, you know, the importance of, of lifelong learning and that, that bug had bit me years before that. And that was kind of the ultimate accomplishment for me, a kid who barely graduated high school to have an executive MBA was really exciting to me. And even though I knew that the, the, case studies we were going to be learning about and most of the focus would be around big, big companies. I knew that I could distill it and figure out how it applied in my small business. And then going back to what you said, I had come to the realization, no, first of all, no business ever started as a large business. Every one of the Fortune 500, every one of the biggest companies in the world all start as a small company and then work their way up to being a big company. And so they never cross over if they don't figure out, there's not a fortune 500 companies like, well, we just really haven't figured out how to manage our finances yet. Like that doesn't work. So I knew that was kind of a barrier for us to really ever get out of the trouble we were in. And so that became my passion. Uh, so, you, you know, like you talked about the fact that no, no company started big. Well, look where Microsoft started in a, you know, it starts in a garage, like the list goes on. 
And that's great for people to hear that because you can't start any form of entrepreneurship, even if it's just working out of your house or your brick and mortar and expect it to explode overnight. And you yep. especially can't take over a company that's been digging a hole right to the center of the earth financially and expect it to come back that quick either. Um, so, you know, those listening, if you're running a business that's struggling, there is hope. You just have to understand, again, get your numbers in order, but also understand it's not the, once the numbers are in order, that's not going to make your business succeed. So yeah. you're going to be able to pay your bills. You're going to be able to pay your staff, your overhead. Maybe you can buy inventory to turn around and sell, but what is your real passion and drive and dream? You need to literally, and I can see that executive MBA that, you know, obviously would have done tons to teach you, but it also did something for your self-esteem too. Right. Absolutely. It is something for your core right here. Right. I didn't do well in high school, but look at me now. And I can take this information, even though it's based on huge business, and I can apply this to a smaller business because at the end of the day, large, big, it's people are people, goal setting, understanding the numbers, driving yourself to what is your purpose for what you're doing. As you mentioned too, that, you know, it wasn't really a passion for you but you still had a drive for business initially mm-hmm. and, you know, but it wasn't really your passion. I can't imagine what you've done with things that are a real passion for you. <laughs> right. It's just yeah. like explosion. Yeah, no. And that's, what's really exciting. I mean, I think to your point, you, you said earlier, life's too short to, you know, whatever life's too short to go about things the wrong way. Right. And so to your point, even, even where I'm at right now, I'm transitioning more and more every day toward focusing on things that are my passion, whether it's the business I'm in, the function that I'm, I'm fulfilling. And that's, you know, and that, that, uh, that's a huge superpower compared to somebody who's just kind of going through the motions, but yeah, that I'll I'll tell you the, you know, going to, going to get my executive MBA, it was really life-changing for me in terms of the, the, the confidence build, like you talked about. At the same time, I'd been in my business for about five years. I was I was an owner of it. And within actually within a month, so I met my wife actually through uh, a friend I met in the executive MBA program. Within a month, I took over the company as CEO, started the MBA program and met my wife all within a month of each other. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so lots, of, a, lots of time juggling, eh? It was a wild time in life. And, because and I, they're I, all time constraining. Oh, absolutely. Relationships, yeah. MBA. Yep. CEO. Oh my gosh. And so, yeah. And they're all kind of pressuring each other. Right. In that sense. And so, yeah, I, you know, but, but to your point, so as I come out of that uh, phase of life had gotten the company, it took a couple of years, even while I was in the program, I was still dealing with challenges related to the finalizing the digging out of the hole. And, you know, it, it really was uh, a huge confidence boost to be sitting in the, in the program, I'm in this program with some kids who went to, you know, private schools their whole life, went to Ivy League schools for their undergrad, and I'm sitting in there and they work for Fortune 500 companies and I'm sitting right next to them in class and I'm thinking, man, that guy's that guy's not better than me. You know, that lady, she's she's really smart, don't get me wrong, but she couldn't we we could trade places and she couldn't come do what I do every day. And it was kind of having learned on the front lines of a business as part of what I love about small business is Everybody gets a seat on the front row, kind of figuring out what's working, what's not. And you're not insulated like you are in a giant company where I've got my one tiny little role. And Well, they're assimilated in giant companies. 
medium-sized yeah. companies I've, I've sat and listened to it. and it's not against anybody that's listening to the show that's in that position you know you're not here's your here's your hallway here's your walls you can't go outside of it you really when it when a person's free i wish i could think of how to word this it's part of one of the workshops that i teach and go in front of groups or do one-on-ones and it talks about the fact that the value of a person their opinion means so much more in their jobs when they don't fear the loss of income they don't fear the loss of their, you know, maybe a promotion. So instead of giving, being that yet, yes person, they give their true value, right? And it, it controls their whole life because they take that same principle to their home life too. It, it just having that freedom, going to the school, sitting beside that person that you knew that really wasn't all that. They yeah. talk the big talk, but just like opening the book of that person's life, they're living a facade. You had more freedom and potential to take the information and apply it because of the fact that you're at the front lines. So I, I hope people really understand that, that being at the front lines, being in all aspects of a business and seeing the good, bad, and ugly actually strengthens you if you allow it yeah. instead of it yep. being a negative and an anchor dragging you back. Yeah. And I think to your point, I think people get caught up in thinking of, of it kind of as a paying your dues, maybe if you're in a small business or you're helping grow that business. And, you know, the reality is that's, that it creates a feedback loop exactly to your point. Part of what helped me immensely is the things we were learning. I was able to apply them on a level that people who are kind of siloed, like you're describing in a big company, they don't have that opportunity. You know, we talk about pricing, they have a price book. That's just how it works. I have a the the sky's the limit in terms of what I can do with my pricing. I can do anything I want in the world. Nobody can stop me, right? Because I'm in a small business and I control it. And so the lessons and the 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 feedback and reinforcement that comes with that is incredibly enlightening and then ultimately builds, you know, builds a lot of confidence if if you can make some changes and and pull off some things that work. Well, and you can you can you know, like you just said pulling off things that work. You can make a, a change and quickly adjust. You can quickly pivot and change and change and see what's going to work. You can do a, a an A-B type of situation. Somebody stuck in that corporate environment, like you said, they're looking at a book. They really yeah. don't have, they've got to go through, you know, bureaucracy. They've got to go through different chains of, oh, okay, here's something I think that should change. Okay, you got to talk to John, Sally, you got to do this. Oh, you got to sit in this room and there's so much um you know dissension in the sense that there really is nothing they can do they can hope or think they have power but really they don't because there becomes that's why you hear all these companies when we have uh economic hardships they're laying off all this because all these management or different levels of bureaucracy because they've allowed too much to happen and nothing's effectively happening in a quick basis and if it had maybe their company wouldn't be suffering even yeah. in economic downturns because there's companies that flourish to economic downturn because they have a good a good flow of being able to pivot still not as fast as a small business but they're more effective and and there's so much ineffective business in this world too much no doubt. yep too much so Colin can you share some of your business altering financial concepts that have changed your trajectory forever that most business owners would not know yeah i again, started in a really humble small business. We, we had a lot of different challenges. And one of the very first things, like I mentioned, was we had to get profitable. 
And so I like to say that I, I need to be able to understand how a business makes money on the back of a napkin. This is not a complex, you know, formula driven spreadsheet that I'm talking about. I'm talking about literally on the back of a napkin. And so it really comes down to understanding, you know, the cost structure of a business as well as is what kind of revenue it's doing. And when you look at it that way, so what, what I'm really describing is kind of a simplified version of the P&L, right? If you look at a P&L, what happens to a lot of, of non-financial uh, business owners, they get lost. There's, there's big numbers, little numbers. Some of them are kind of underneath the other ones. There's a lot going on there and they start kind of going this micro, macro, they're bouncing all over the place. In reality, if you were to look at your numbers, we all know what, what gross margin is. So if you were to take your revenue and you take out you know, what you're paying for your product or service, if you've got outside costs, and then looking at, you know, that the power of understanding that margin as a percentage, everyone knows, but what so few people do to take it to the next level is to then look at your labor. So start to look at elements of your overhead also as a percentage of that revenue. So we're looking at what is the labor uh, as a percentage of revenue? What are my sales and marketing costs, a percentage of revenue? What is my general overhead? What are, if I've got, you know, plant vehicles, et cetera. But grouping those things in a way that's logical for that business and understanding them as a percentage, then figuring out which ones are fixed and which ones are truly variable. What that allows you to do, it sounds really simple. And I think people go like, okay, I, yeah, that's exciting. Wow. What would I do with that? Well, what if the revenue doubles? It, based on what I just described, you should be able to simulate what would happen if the revenue doubled. I know which numbers are going to go up and follow it. I know which ones are going to stay the same. I should be able to forecast at double the revenue, what's going to happen to my profitability. What if my revenue cuts in half? What's going to happen to my profitability? And then based on your comfort and feeling of how volatile your revenue is and what's working and not working within that cost structure, you can then, it kind of drives you to the right type of decision-making to say, man, I feel really uneasy about my revenue. Um, therefore, all this fixed cost and labor is really scary. Okay, are there other alternatives, right? And I'm, again, I'm not taking it lightly if someone were to make uh, overhead changes with their labor, but you know, really just thinking about your numbers from a little bit of a different angle than just saying, well, QuickBooks printed out this report and therefore that's what I've got to work with. There are other ways to kind of view it. Well, there's things, it's just like somebody can say something to you and you can read between the lines, that old you know, adage like, you know, they said this, but really- is this, this is what they meant because you become a critical thinker. You're able to look at, you know, at different circumstances and understand things differently. So you're taking that in the numbers game. Like you said, there's things that are underneath the layer, the main layer, there's things that you still have to be worried about. So yep. what you're talking about obviously takes effort, but it takes, you'd have to say though, that it takes a lot of pressure off the people running a business when you are able to, know that if revenue doubles, this is what's going to happen to our fixed exactly. variable. And if it cuts in half, this is, we know we already have a game plan in place is this is what needs to go. This is what needs to change. This is what needs to scale back because our revenue is in half because of economic downturn or a pandemic or whatever. So, you know, valuable service. Those and, listening yeah, and, and watching, and, it's valuable service to understand. Yeah. And, and to that point, you know, looking at what if you have that oh no moment, right? So like, what if we start building the labor necessary to, for our revenue to double, but it only goes up by 20%. I can then kind of run the formula and say, what would that mean? And what people come to that very quickly is the realization that like, I can't do this 
field of dreams, you know, if I build it, they will come kind of mindset. I can't start taking on overhead on the hope that my revenue is going to grow or because I've got a lot of good prospects in the pipeline. I, I just can't afford to think that way. And so it causes you to have to re, you know, imagine ways you deliver, maybe the way you present your business, but it ultimately keeps you a lot safer. It keeps you from, from making some really, really critical mistakes. And like you said, get you into that mode of critical thinking. Well, look how many people have expanded and lost it all because they shouldn't have expanded. Exactly. Right. They go and expand, they open up another brick and mortar or they go to another state or province for, for us Canadians and they don't realize the numbers. And at the end of it, they did all that work, put themselves through all that extra stress, gave up some more of their time on and their emotional IQ because now they got a little bit more stress, take away from their core values. Something gets robbed and they make five, 10% more. Is it really yeah. worth it? Exactly. I've looked exactly. at numbers of people and went, you did what? Yep. You know what? I'm thinking sometimes I don't say it out loud because it isn't going to help matters, but I'm thinking in my head, oh my gosh, yeah, you did all that, all that for what? For five, 10%. Are you kidding yep. me? Now, if we're talking 30% plus and that's net, hmm, maybe yeah. that's worth, that's interesting. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like uh, I had a conversation with one of my own kids. She's got a business. She started last year and it's doing really well. She's, she's also a full-time nurse and you know, we were talking about it. She says, so dad, I really don't understand a lot about business. I'm trying to learn. And I've been talking to different people. And I says, oh yeah, well, I know I should be talking to you more, but it's tough. You're my dad. I said, I get it. Okay. And she, she said, well, I listened to what we talked about with my business partner here a few weeks ago. And you talked about profit margin. You talked about net and gross. And you talked about this and that. And why would I want to get out of bed if I'm not making at least 30%? I just yep. says, I remember you say it. I said, well, that's what I believe because I've had, you know, businesses myself where they weren't, you know, wasn't really doing well. I wasn't making the profit points. So I started giving her some examples. She says, really? I remember that business you had. And she says, you were doing well. I said, yeah, relative to what though? Everybody thought exactly. I was doing well, but they don't understand the numbers. I understood yep. the numbers. So after nine years, I realized that, I don't need to go bankrupt the business. You know, I can just close the doors and, and pivot from this one part of the business that was doing well. And I went into full-time consulting. That was before finance when I was in the, in the IT world, computer consulting. And she goes, Oh, she says, well, thanks for sharing that. I says, thanks for wanting to know. Because sometimes like they say, what's that adage? You know, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. Yes. I love Be your own family. Right. Yep. So good on you. Colin, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? I would tell them that um, the greatest things that I've ever been able to accomplish in my life, in my mind, come down to really two things. One is being very intentional, having purpose and being thoughtful about what I want and, and being willing to admit with when the old version of what I wanted proved not to be the real goal and adjust. And the other one comes down to whether we want to call it being assertive, um, you know, being, being willing to go for it. And that doesn't have to mean being rude. It doesn't, you know, sometimes we say assertive and people think that means, you know, you're being blunt or harsh or cruel, but it really comes down to being willing to be purposeful and being willing to go for it. 
And you know, that to me, if I'm, if I'm following those two things, then I'm, I'm going for good things in life. And, and then the journey, even if it's not perfect, which it never is, it ends up being fulfilling in ways intended and unintended. And that's all you can really hope for. Oh, what a great closing message, intentionality, purpose, being assertive, all things that I strive and work on at the end of the day, even when those listening, watching, I bet you call and can attest to this. No, even when we hit those pitfalls or we hit those things that we thought would work and didn't, when you were intentional and purposeful, and even if it didn't work, you're not, you're not totally crushed. You're not, yep. you're not totally destroyed. You get up, you wipe yourself off, you put a bandaid on the boo-boo and you push forward and you go, Oh, okay. Well, what did I learn from this? And, right? yeah, and you learn it's still intentional, even even on those. failure. Yeah, even yep. even intentionality works on failure. You have yep. to look at it and go, hmm, I didn't really fail. This is what what did I learn? Well, this was a character building moment. This is what happened. It didn't give me what I wanted. What did I learn? Well, then you're you're being purposeful. You're still yep. learning and you're climbing and you're just gonna reset and move forward. And sometimes we get camped and stuck in our lives. Like it is what it is, right? And sometimes it's outside of our control. It could be a family tragedy. Um, it can be lots of different things that can slow us down. But living that intentional, purposeful, assertive life up to that moment can help us even get through the most challenging personal things in our lives too. Wouldn't you agree? Yep, absolutely. Helps you push through them a lot more, a lot more quickly and, and kind of take them in for what they really are. Yeah. So I really appreciate you, brother. Our time is almost up. I want to respect our listeners and your time. However, before we end, can you please tell the listeners what's the best way they can reach you? Probably the easiest thing. I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. Um, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm sure it'll be in the the show notes, but you know, just Colin Sandberg on, at LinkedIn and, you know, I'm, I'm on there uh, posting, sharing, you know, thoughts and, and ideas as I come across them, as well as you know, love just the interaction element of it. And so I love talking with other entrepreneurs, whether you think we'd ever do business together or not, you know, just reach out and, uh, you know, whether you're on your entrepreneurial journey, you're thinking about your entrepreneurial journey, or, or you're just wanting to learn and swap stories. I'm always here. Yeah. Conversation, right? It's all back yep. to having conversations. And, you know, I have people that listen from around the world and 40 some countries, um, you know, do they listen to every episode? No, but some of those countries, they pick up on certain titles and I'm sure that your episode is going to do really well. If you're listening to this in somewhere in Europe, for example, or you're listening to this anywhere on the planet, business is business. Absolutely. Colin can help you. Colin can give you direction and focus and it would be well worth you striking up that conversation. And, you know, it's time to carpe diem, seize the day move forward yep. right love it so any last comments any last words you'd like to before i wrap the show up no thanks for having me on dwight i've really enjoyed it i've really enjoyed it too brother i look forward to listening to this back because like every good uh person that's a coach or a mentor i listen to my game tape my game reels i watch them i view them again because there's always things that i could miss and i want to make sure i I value that time that you've given me right to the fullest for myself too, because it helps those around me. So again, thank you so much for being on brother. So to wrap up the show, thanks so much for being on. Give a heck call. And I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn. It is never too late to give a heck. 
Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, together let us all strive to give a heck.